0: Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian.
1: I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening today. I'm recording this from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are here with us today. Welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast. My name is Jane Winter from Dietitian Connection, and I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. Well, more and more research is uncovering that certain health behaviors, and that includes food, supplements, exercise, sleep, just to name a few, may affect the gut microbiome and therefore overall health outcomes. One of the most exciting and expanding areas now is the world of probiotics, and that's recently become a really hot topic for discussion. This month, February, is Gut Health Month, a national month to talk about common gut problems and the nutrition interventions that can help our patients feel better. Today, we're talking to dietitian Nicole Dynan to explore the world of probiotics, the emerging evidence around health outcomes, and most importantly, what this means for our practice as dietitians. Nicole Dynan is an accredited practicing dietitian and uh, accredited sports dietitian. She specializes in gut health and food intolerance, is one of a handful of dietitians in Australia with qualifications in both dietetics and psychology. Nicole is known as the gut health dietitian and runs a corporate nutrition service and private practice in Sydney, The Good Nutrition Company, which she founded in 2012. Nicole is a guest lecturer for the University of Sydney and the University of New South Wales and is a media spokesperson for Dietitians Australia. Our podcast today is supported by the Probiotics Institute. And just a disclaimer, the podcast is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should be tailored to your individual circumstances. The podcast is for your information only, and we advise that you exercise your own judgment before deciding to use the information provided. Professional medical advice should be obtained before taking action. So welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast, Nicole, and thanks for joining me today.
2: Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me.
1: So that everyone can get to know you a bit, Nicole, can you just give us uh, your story so far and what sparked your interest in gut health and what excites you most about this area?
2: Um, Absolutely. So I guess like many true passions, this one was born from personal experience. So as a child, I had an intolerance to oats and wheat. Thankfully, I've grown out of that now, but I used to come out in hives. And in those days, like you never went to a doctor, you just kind of didn't eat the food. Um, So tracing it back, you know, since then, I found out that mum couldn't breastfeed And back then, you know, I thought, you know, she used to feed me condensed milk instead. But (laughs) I'm very thankful to find out more recently that it was actually evaporated milk. (laughs) Um, So I think because of that, I've always, you know, been interested in the impact of food and how it can make me feel. So when I made that decision to retrain as a dietitian almost 10 or 11 years ago now, the news of the microbiome was really, you know, very emerging And we started to hear more and more about it. There was talk, you know, about the trillions of microbes in our bodies and the importance of the development of the microbiome in early childhood. So I guess I was wondering, you know, how that may have impacted me personally, like way back then. So um, as part of my master's, I had the opportunity to put my hand up for the RPA allergy unit as a placement. And I guess that was probably the closest thing at the time. Um, so I was so fortunate to get that placement and I guess it's no surprise that I've ended up making it my passion project now with work as well. So um, yeah I'm really excited for the future of research in this area. I hope that we may be able to you know uncover the impact of the microbiome on disease control, um, how it can optimise our health, particularly in those areas such as compromised immunity and gut health issues and the resultant mental health issues um, that I see so much of in practice. And of course, longevity. I think if it can give us some insights into that, we'll all be very happy.
1: Yeah, it's an amazing area to have watched, isn't it, over the past 10 years, this explosion of research and understanding. And yet, knowing that we're still only at the very tip of it, and there's so much more to learn about it. so when we when we talk about the gut microbiome, we hear a lot now about probiotics. In fact, people just they become one and the same nearly when people talk yeah. about probiotics. So can you just remind us what the definition is of a probiotic and
2: and what their function is in the body? Sure. So the term probiotic was first defined. Um, back in 2001. So that was by an expert panel of the Food and Agricultural Organization, so the FAO, and um, the World Health Organization. So it's had a couple of minor iterations since then, but it's now defined as live microorganisms that, when administered in adequate amounts, confer a health benefit to the host. So three key things there, the live microorganisms, the amount they have to be in an adequate amount and they have to confer a health benefit. And that's really a widely accepted scientific definition around the world now. So I think importantly to be labelled a probiotic, the scientific evidence for the health benefit has to be documented as well. So there's probably a lot more probiotics out there, but they just don't have the clinical research to support them yet.
1: So when we talk about Um, those health conditions, it seems that there's certainly potential um, of probiotics to be beneficial in a a range of health conditions. Mm. Can you sort of tell us some of the health conditions where there is the robust evidence to support their use?
2: Yeah, so there's been decades of study on some specific probiotic strains to date um, to reveal, you know, particular health benefits. Um, However, not all of those health benefits will be delivered by one product or one strain. So, So I think that's really important to note. Um, And the main areas where we see good evidence are in gut health, so things like reducing the incidence and duration of antibiotic-associated diarrhoea. There's some evidence with IBS symptoms like diarrhoea and constipation and even in IBD, so pouchitis and ulcerative ulcerative colitis. Um, Then in infants and young children, so there's numerous areas of research underway there, so just reducing colic symptoms, eczema. Um, necrotizing enter, enter- enterocolitis, in preterm infants, <laughs> try and say that, <laughs> um, you know, and even supporting respiratory health in infants and kids, um, and then immune health. So this is a big area of interest at the moment. Um, and I think importantly to note that a lot of research is done in, you know, sick individuals, so not so much healthy individuals. So, so that's why these kind of areas are being studied. Um, and they've found decreasing the risk or duration of upper respiratory tract infection, such as a common cold, um, can be achieved with some probiotics. Um, even some C. diff prevention and H. pylori um, an adjunct to therapy, um, probiotics are used there. And then finally, in women's health as well, there's some research there in bacterial vaginosis and urinary tract infections. So I think in some cases... Um, the mechanisms of action are known but in other cases they're not um, even though the health benefit has been demonstrated.
1: Yeah and I feel like probably where we started hearing a lot about probiotics was in that post-antibiotic time and that was probably when I remember as a dietitian that's when we really started hearing about probiotics was this all the damage that antibiotics were doing and how could we restore um, some of the gut health around that. So but if we can delve a bit deeper into that um, link between probiotics and immunity, can you um, tell us kind of some of the just top line research findings
2: on that interaction and, and maybe a bit about the mechanism if we know it? Yeah, sure. So I think our immune system is obviously vital to our health because it protects us from, you know, defending um, our body from foreign substances and things like that. So um, it makes sense that the gut microbiome may play a part in that because it there's 70 to 80 percent of our immune cells located in the gut, um, and so keeping that balance, you know, for that ideal functioning of the immune system makes sense. And I think it's an area where we're learning that probiotics can be of real benefit as well. So, to date, there's been a lot of in vitro studies of strains such as Lactobacillus casei 431. Um, bifidobacterium bb12 and lactobacillus rhamnosus lgg Um, and they do propose several mechanisms of action on just how they work so one is that they may help tighten the junctions in the gut wall Um, so they just stop you know those bigger particles getting through and um, basically triggering the inflammation alarm um, and they think there could be benefit beyond immunity with that kind of learning as well, just in athletes, for example, with leaky gut. Um, but at this stage, it's very much a hypothesis. It hasn't really been studied further. Um, and then the second mechanism of action that's been proposed is that they, um, the probiotics interact indirectly with immune cells by secreting proteins and cytokines that can trigger the immune system to take the right action. So In other words, they're needed to induce the production of antibodies that fight those invading pathogens. So um, that's all in vitro stuff, but the effect on immune function has been supported in some randomised double-blind placebo-controlled trials as well with those strains, um, both the strains alone and in combination, and they have been shown to have significant effects on endpoints such as promoting immune response and also reducing the incidence, duration, and severity of respiratory and flu-like sickness. So I think, you know, those interactions are complex, um, ever-changing, dynamic, um, but the use of those specific probiotic strains in this area is looking quite promising.
1: Yeah, that's that's really exciting, isn't it? So saying that whilst we still have a lot to learn about the mechanism, it may be that they actually help contribute to like a physical barrier for mm-hmm. nasty things getting into our system, um, as well as working on a cellular level in the immune response. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, I think the probiotic strains need a bit of help that they're, they're a mouthful, aren't they? <laughs> they <laughs> don't just roll off the tongue, um, <laughs> these strains. Yeah. Um,
0: They're
1: quite so, complex, aren't they? It's yeah, they are. They are. I don't know who um, names. So I can understand that uh, people are not in the health field can't remember them um (laughs) but uh, but i guess over uh, lactobacillus certainly and bifidobacteria are becoming a bit more of the common vernacular aren't they so we've heard the sort of the term that um not all probiotics are equal um and that the action and qualities of probiotics are very strain specific what does this mean in practice this strain specific probiotics
2: Yeah, so I think um, it all does come down to strain. So probiotics, when they're named, they're known by genus, species and strain. So, for example, um, lactobacillus is the genus, acidophilus is the species and ABC, for example, is the strain. So... um, that strain designation is the key thing as the different strains you know have different health effects so some of you may some people listening to this podcast may have um, seen jason Horalek at the dietitian connection dietitians unite event and his analogy was all dogs are from the same genus so that's canis same species familiaris but the breeds differ in, mul- multitude of way- in a multitude of ways. So the probiotic strains really can be likened to the breed. So like German Shepherds, poodles, um, you know, pugs, yeah. <laughs> all of those other kinds of things. So, so I think the key thing interpreting that into practice, like in my practice, I hear patients telling me all the time that they've just started taking this probiotic. I had a patient the other day telling me she's taking multiple different probiotics now just to try and really help her health. Um, And they think, you know, the more strains they have, the greater the the health benefit, but that doesn't necessarily translate scientifically. So the more strains doesn't necessarily provide a greater number of health benefits. Um, So I personally refer my patients to the ISAP website they've got some great that's the international scientific association for probiotics and prebiotics they have some great um, easy to read handouts on you know probiotics prebiotics fermented foods etc and they also rely on the u.s probiotic guide table for guidance and that table um you know from a practitioner point of view i think is really great to be able to look at the most up-to-date evidence, um, you know, level one through to three evidence on different strains and combinations. So, so I often, you know, am talking to colleagues about that site or otherwise even the Probiotic Institute website now um, has been created to provide a really trusted and um, credible place to learn about probiotics and some of the specific probiotic strains that have health benefits
1: because it can be really confusing kind of for a consumer particularly to walk into a pharmacy or wherever they're buying them from um, and seeing those shelves full of different probiotics um, with different claims around them so uh, I think that's that's really handy and also for us as dietitians to be able to provide that advice because obviously as you say you're going to have clients who are coming in who are having a bit of a scattergun approach I'll just take lots of stuff yeah. and see how we go so it is our role to try and guide them
2: to where the evidence is for those uh, probiotics. I agree with that, 100% agree, because out, out there I think it's just widely um, miscommunicated, the information on probiotics, and even some of the labelling on products is incorrect. So, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's, dietitians are really well placed to assist there.
1: So if we move this along the path a little bit um, about how important it is to look at the right strain for the right condition. But a common question that patients might ask are about fermented foods. And can I take a fermented food? Is that going to give me the same
2: sort of benefits as a probiotic? What's the response there? Yeah, so that is something I definitely see in practice as well. Um, So I guess fermented foods and beverages such as like kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha, um, the difference is they contain live microbes, and they may have been associated with health benefits, but they're generally not considered probiotics as they haven't been characterized. You know, the adequate amount or dose hasn't been defined, um, and the health effects haven't been clinically demonstrated. So remember back to that definition. Um, I think, you know, it's really important to think about that when we're, when we're trying to determine whether something actually does contain a probiotic benefit.
1: And can a fermented food meet the definition of a probiotic? Um, A fermented food
2: can um, meet the definition of a probiotic. So um, it's usually when the probiotic is added to that fermented food. So, um, for example, a fermented food, you know, may have undergone like a microbial breakdown with the natural sort of yeast or bacteria that's on that food. Um, And it breaks it down into components like sugars and other products, short-chain organic acids. And their role is really to change the flavour, the aroma, the texture, the appearance of the food or suppress spoilage microorganisms. But the fermented food that meets the definition of a probiotic has that probiotic added. So it may take, take part in the fermentation process, but it's true Um, purpose is really to add the health benefit um, because it's been clinically researched to deliver that particular health benefit
1: so when when consumers are uh, looking at food labels for example um, I guess the similar knowledge needs to be applied when they're looking at probiotics and and the labeling there what should they look for and where do they find that on a probiotic
2: yeah so um the thing, the key things that they should be looking for, obviously having that word probiotic on there, if it's a food or a pharmaceutical product, um, looking for the bacteria, genus, um, species and strain. It's good to look for the trademark as well. So you actually know that that is a strain that um, has been trademarked. It actually has a health benefit. and And then it actually refers to that health benefit call out somewhere. So it tells you, Um, how to use the product, what benefits to expect from the product um, and any claims, you know, on there need to be scientifically supported.
1: And will those, um, will that same information be on a food product containing a probiotic? So if there's just a probiotic as an ingredient, you'll be able to find all that information on that food label?
2: That's right, yeah. So on things like the probiotic kefirs or yogurts, it will actually say that the genus, the species, the strain, the strain, the species, species strain.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's just as important yeah. to look for it when you're looking at a food containing a probiotic as when you're just looking at a straight probiotic supplement. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Almost more important, I think, because um, I think a lot of people assume that, you know, say yogurts, for example, all yogurts contain probiotics. Um, which is not necessarily the case.
1: Yeah. And so beyond the strain, are there
2: other considerations that we need to look at? Yeah. So I think the main one would be the CFU, so the colony forming unit. So that's the number of live probiotics in the product. So sometimes um, they're designated as live cultures. It might be shown as live cultures. So I think a key thing there is to avoid products that state the CFU at the time of manufacture because the labelling then doesn't account for the decline in the CFU during storage um, or the shelf life of the product. So it really should show you um, the CFU um, at the end of shelf life and that's really what we're looking for. Um, And as I think I mentioned before, like the higher dose doesn't necessarily have a greater health benefit. Um, It really needs to show the dose that matches the efficacy that's been studied to confer a health benefit. So it's usually around 1 billion CFU per day. Um, And some products have shown, you know, they'll be tested at 10 billion or 20 billion CFU, but it really has shown no extra benefit. So it doesn't necessarily mean the more is the better. It's really the number that has been shown to be beneficial um, or efficacious at study level.
1: Yeah, so um, when you talk about food, for example, when, when they're looking at uh, supplementing um, foods with probiotics, are they sometimes, this may sound a bit odd, but sometimes just adding like good bacteria that
2: aren't necessarily probiotics? Yeah, sometimes the bacteria are just there to ferment the food and, and you know, change the flavour, right. texture or that sort of thing. So, you know, not all bacteria have been studied for the health benefit.
1: Yeah, and I assume food labelling requires that if they use the term probiotic, it meets the definition of probiotic.
2: Well, I know that's definitely the case in the UK. I think in Australia, um, the last information I heard was that That's not necessarily a firm rule as yet because you'll see probiotic on lots of different products. Um, I don't necessarily know that it's always accurate, which is why I think looking at, you know, for the genus, the species, the strain, the trademark, the health benefit on the product is really important. Um, and the CFU and just how much of that product you'd need to consume to get the benefit.
1: Yeah, and I guess they're fairly clear messages to consumers, aren't they? Look for those sorts of things: the, yeah. the species, the dose, and the health benefit that it's been yeah. associated with.
0: That's right.
1: Um, and so, if and dietitians obviously play a really important role in providing that those insights and that understanding to our consumers, because as we said, it's a really confusing area. So, um, if you're Talking to dietitians who are interested in this area and, and see clients um, who are asking about probiotics and probiotics in food, what's the sort of
2: key things that you think that dietitians really should know about this area? I think one of the key areas we can really help to start with, because it is, you know, it is a bit of a complex area. It's going to take time to educate the public. But I think even um, helping to talk to patients about the difference between fermented dairy. You know, with and without probiotics, um, and helping them to know that it really does come down to the strains with evidence and the right amount um, at the end of the shelf life. I think that's a simple way. You know, most people would have yogurt. um, So that could be one way that we could really start to convey that message um, in a practical way that people know how to implement and I agree I think dietitians are perfectly placed to really translate this evidence um, for our clients you know we're going to play an increasing increasingly important role in this space Um, you know even as the labeling and the packaging catches up in products that might be using that terminology um, just generally at the moment um, you know if we're educating consumers on what to look for I think that's really an important Um, important role for us. And we're going to help more people as well, because we'll be directing them to products that could actually have a health benefit for them.
1: Yeah. And I guess it's also our responsibility to um, keep up with watching that research emerge, because as we said, it's the tip of the iceberg at the moment. There's a lot of research going on. Um, It's expanding quickly um, and we need to try and stay on top of it. But um, the resources that you mentioned, um, we will put in the show notes so that uh, people listening can then access those resources so that they they feel like they are armed with the most current information for their clients. Uh, And, you know, dietitians are the place to go for that personalised help rather than just sort of, oh, yep, I'll just get something with a probiotic and that'll do me, I'm I'm done. So um, any
2: final points that I've missed, um, Nicole? No, I think that's all great, Jane. And um, another place I would look just to keep up to date, and I know this sounds really random, but um, I, I'm on Twitter a lot just following, following a lot of the professors, you know, overseas who specialise in this area, and they're forever posting about the latest papers and things like that. So I think that's a great way just to really keep um, your finger on the pulse just by, you know, even following them if indeed you are on Twitter. I just think that's
1: Yeah. I
2: agree. A
1: lot of that yeah. <laughs> It's always nice when they just um, upload or add the link to the okay. latest paper and you go, oh, good, I don't yeah. have to go through all the journals. So no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, thanks thanks very much for your time today, Nicole. It's been really good to delve a little bit deeper into the world of probiotics when so many of our clients and probably our friends and family uh, are asking about them. So we do need to have a really deep understanding of them. Um, one of the biggest requests we get from Dr. Dietitians at Dietitian Connection is more information on the specific strains, the research, the clinical outcomes. So the Probiotics Institute um, is a great place to start for education and it contains um, information about some of those Uh, strains that you mentioned today the lactobacillus rhamnosus lgg and bifidobacterium bb12 so uh, if anyone wants to uh, look for more information on those you can go to www.theprobioticsinstitute.com and and get further some further reading so again thanks thanks nicole for your time today i really enjoyed the conversation same thanks so much jane
0: To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.